The Third Men Podcast is a fan-made, not-for-profit, just-for-fun celebration of Jack White and is in no way directly affiliated with Third Man Records or the man himself. For the definitive history of Jack White and his music, please consult your local Jack White. And for everyone else looking for a home, you found one here, in a place so seedy. Enjoy! Breathe, breathe, Paul. <laughs> this is gross. This <laughs> uh, just breathe. Do your, do your. Oh, oh God! Ah! Uh, Looks like those Lamaze courses really paid off. Uh, I have just given birth, James, to an episode of a podcast. Oh, God, cut the cord. It's still in me. It's just like you millennials, always trying to cut the cord. Um, happy Mother's Day. <laughs> James, this is, uh, uh, hey, welcome to our third men, welcome to the third, hey, hey, welcome. <laughs> hey, real talk, welcome to the third men podcasts. Yeah, I'm your co-host, Paul Kaminsky. And I'm your other co-host, James Kaminsky. And this is our Jack White History Podcast, where we do weird at the beginning and then eventually talk about Jack White history and music and films and tangential acts. And this week, James, oh, we've got a very good show. We do, Paul. Our mother's going to be listening to this one, so this is going to be a weird intro for her. (laughs) Uh (laughs) Oh, dear. James, what have you got on the docket today? I want to hear just all about it. Just take out uh-huh. your po- podcast topic, apple pie from the oven, <laughs> and let it cool on the sill, and let me just sniff away at that one, <laughs> and then we'll eat it. Wow, that took a turn I wasn't expecting. <laughs> uh, so today on the docket, we've got a lovely, lovely episode. We're, we're doing a trifecta of tangential Jack White acts that happen to be women, and it's all culminating into Jack White and Loretta Lynn's wonderful Grammy Award winning album, Van Leer Rose. Oh, I love this album. And yes, as James mentioned, welcome to our country music singers podcast (laughs) where we confuse the bejesus out of people who seem to think this is about Jack White (laughs) by spending three episodes in a row talking about female country singers. They're all great. And this this album is no exception. And unlike the previous two albums, this one actually spotlights Jack White vocals on it, which are Mm -hmm. super cool, and it also has a song co-written by the man himself, as well as having Loretta Lynn doing what she does best, which is sing really, really good country tunes. Yeah, real country tunes, you might say. She's got an authentic quality to her, and this album, I mean, you could kind of think of as sort of a lost raconteurs album in a way, uh, because it really really helps sow the seeds for that group, and in the coming weeks, spoilers, we are going to be doing some spe- some special raconteurs activities, so this is a great way to kick that off, James. But before we get 
to all that. Is there something we should be smelling? <laughs> it's that rose. It's a, Yeah, it's the rose. And by any other name, it smells like... Oh. What is the most astounding fact? The most astounding fact. The most astounding fact is the knowledge. Think a smell of fact. fact. I think I smell a fact is the portion of the show where we elaborate on a fact we learned from a previous show. It's either something that we glossed over or something that popped up after the episode already came out. And as they usually do, this one comes courtesy of Callie Durga. Thank you very much, Callie. Wait, Paul. I just want to add to that. Yes, that is where we stop, we elaborate. And then you listen. <laughs> anyway, comes courtesy of Kelly Durga. Thank you, Kelly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, Kelly Durga via Rob Rob Van Winkle. So Kelly points out that, uh, and, and this isn't so much, well, I mean, it's an interesting little tidbit. It's really like a tidbit of a fact. It's really a nugget of a fact. The Crave Online interview I keep pulling from that was conducted with Jack White's touring band during the Lazaretto days, or just post the Lazaretto days, which really gives some great information on the Blunderbuss tour and the Lazaretto tour and how Lily Mae and Daru and Fats and Dominic and Ruby and etc. just existed on the road and a lot of great information you wouldn't find elsewhere that that comes courtesy of a crave online interview conducted by a member of the jack white fan community apparently a one fernando skuczynski filo i believe i'm pronouncing that right uh if i am not then i i'll give back my polish heritage card james (laughs) Uh, so thank you fernando because of that interview you've really made public the kind of information that you can't really find elsewhere about the uh, about those tours and so I pulled from that article very extensively for not only the Blunderbuss tour episode but for the Lily Mae Rishi episode that we did that was episode 30 and uh, mm. I find it a great resource and I'm, I'll probably be pulling from it again so uh, thank you very much uh, Fernando for that and I just wanted to give it's kind of like a fact shout out or a, I don't know something like that but you know I figure credit where credit's due that's really that was really awesome Fernando thank you yeah thanks so much and it's very much appreciated and <laughs> when I reflect on that fact James I'm so excited. And you just can't hide it. Come on, come on, come on. Let's get into Van Leer Rose, James. Yeah, let's get into Van Leer Rose. James, I'm excited to talk about Van Leer Rose. I am too. You know, it's funny. You were the first one that introduced me to this album. I had no idea it existed, and you got The Vault and played it for me, played the, me the DVD and stuff when The Vault came out, and that this album had just flown completely past me. I never knew it existed. I mean, that's just, I just goes to show you how much this podcast has really helped me, and I assume you, to a lesser degree, actually get to know Jack White's history and stuff, because this thing is... It's awesome, and I just never realized it happened. Yeah, it totally flew under our radar at the time, which is bizarre because it 
it was pretty well regarded in music communities and fandoms and specifically Jack White fans knew all about it for sure. And it's very weird that we didn't hear about it. Yeah. But it's an excellent album. This is not going to be our Loretta Lynn artist spotlight episode. We will get to that. This is specifically about Van Lee Rose. But if you don't know who Loretta Lynn is, she's one of the most lauded country stars of all time. She sung one of her first concerts at the Grand Old Opry. Like, it's pretty uh, intense. She had a, an interesting life, too. She actually married when she was 13. Oh, my God. Yeah, she married a guy named Oliver Lynn, and they had four children together by the time she was 18, which is uh, it's a pretty productive couple years. Wow, that's, uh, wow. Yeah, and her- Hey, I was just going to add uh, earlier in the conversation, uh, she also teamed up with my new favorite man, Merle Haggard. Yes. Apparently they, were, they had planned to record an album in 2016, and then he died. But Merle Haggard, I'm not sure what he would have felt about Loretta, but she is definitely not a hippie and respects her parents, I assume, so Merle Haggard would approve. Who Who knows? <laughs> She's she's a free thinker. <laughs> if anything, she's a free thinker. Sure. Yeah, we'll go with that. She seems like a very nice lady. <laughs> I'm sure she I'm sure she, her opinions are formed by her experiences and life of hardship and I respect her point of view. Yes. Back to her having four children. <laughs> at 13 years old, at, I'm sorry. At 18, yeah. <laughs> uh, okay, sure. Her her husband actually had left her the first time she got pregnant. And then <laughs> we'll go over this a lot more in, in the Spotlight episode. They got back together later on. But yeah, her, her husband, Oliver Lynn, otherwise known as Do or Doolittle. Otherwise known as, how old are you? <laughs> uh, he, he had noticed her singing lullabies to their children and said, you, you have to do this professionally and and like basically pushed her to to sing in front of audiences and bought her her first guitar and pretty soon after that she landed a record deal and she had a partnership with the legendary producer owen bradley whom she would compare jack white very often to to mr bradley so this album van leer rose came about pretty late in her career it was kind of a resurgence of hers it kind of came about when her and jack met they met around, like, 2001, 2002, right? Something like that? Yeah. The White Stripes have always had kind of a love affair with Loretta Lynn. They dedicated the album White Blood Cells to her and sang Rated X as a, as a B-side, mm-hmm. and, which is a Loretta Lynn song. Jack White, he cut uh, Rated X. I thought, that was, I thought that was cute. And that's one, you know, that the disc jockeys wanted to ban. Well, they did ban it, but it didn't hurt it. But uh, they, a lot of them did band it because they, they thought the record was dirty when they just seen Rated X on there. And they thought it was dirty. It was nothing dirty about anything that I ever sung, you know. But they banned quite a few because of the titles. But you know he had a ball doing that. I guarantee you he did. In fact, I heard their version of Rated X before Loretta's actually and never even realized. I knew it was a cover, but I never knew who it was by or anything mm-hmm. like that. And yeah, it's a, it's a great song. Some kind of 
So they dedicated the the um, white blood cells to her, and here I'll, I'll actually just quote Loretta here. They wrote me a letter and sent me the record. Well, I have to say I've never heard of them, but I loved the CD. My manager at the time, Nancy Russell, called and set up a day for Jack and Meg to come see me at my ranch in Hurricane Mills. I made them dinner, chicken and dumplings and homemade bread. <laughs> well, I had him and Meg down to eat with me. I fixed chicken and dumplings and made homemade bread. Yeah. And he left there with a loaf of homemade bread and a stick of butter. He said, this is the best bread I've ever eaten in my life. The best bread you've ever had in your life. Let me tell you, uh, get a recipe if you can. And uh, she actually talks about this on stage in 2015 when she got up with uh, Jack White and his solo band. Yeah. So she made them chicken and dumplings and homemade bread. I gave little Meg one of my old stage dresses to wear. Bless her heart, she just cried. Aww. Meg is so sweet. Oh. I'd been telling Patsy I wanted to start recording. Patsy is her uh, daughter. I'd been telling Patsy I wanted to start recording and make another record soon. So I had all my songs out trying to get them together and sort them through. When Nancy called and asked if I would plan a show in New York with Jack and Meg, I said sure. Jack and Meg actually invited her to play a show at New York's Hammerstein Ballroom in 2003. They kind of became fast friends after this whole meeting. Yeah, that show is really good, too. You can see that in the Loretta Lynn DVD from the vault. Yeah. They give you the full set of songs there. Jack's wearing, like, this cowboy attire, which he, he wore from time to time in that time frame. Yeah, it's the same outfit that he would wear on an Elephant. Yeah, with the white tassels and stuff and, you know. So while in New York, she told Jack that she was getting ready to, to record this new album, and he offered to produce it, which he's been wanting to work with her for so very long. He was just itching to work with her. Mm -hmm. Loretta had said, the first time I met him in Manhattan and we worked together, I was telling him I was getting ready to go in and do an album myself. He said, well, could I go in and produce it? And I said, why not? Wow. So That's awesome. Yeah, it was pretty pretty quick i mean it's mutually beneficial for the both of them because obviously she's she was an older lady at that point while she still had the sort of legendary status her star had faded some and for jack she's got that legendary status and so it cemented his the ties he was really i don't want to say desperately trying to build but definitely forging at that time in his career he was getting the approval of the old guard yeah. whether he was trying to or not it seemed very deliberate. He made friends with Loretta Lynn and Bob Dylan, yeah. like, out the gate. So, like, there's a methodology there. I can't believe that it was just like, oh, well, we're just good friends. Like, obviously, there's a reason he, he's seeking out these people he admires. Whether or not it was to validate his own musical credentials is uh, sort of up for debate. I tend to believe no. I tend to believe he just kind of wanted to know these people. But the fact of the matter is it wound up validating him for that older crowd anyway. So there's a mutual advantage there yeah i feel like i feel like he's jimmy falloning like he's taking these idols <laughs> these idols that he loved and grew up listening to and he right. finally has the power to actually meet them so he's he's able to to actually do these things that he always wanted to do when he was a kid and he's doing it how old are you now 29 and you were six years old when you saw well mine is done that's right and 
I fell in love immediately, somehow. Somehow that young. A six-year-old. I don't know how that happened, but it did. Something about it was, um, I think, really American to me or something at the time. I think I was really proud that that was a, a place that was in America that you could that, that could exist. You know, yeah, you're from Detroit. <laughs> maybe, maybe there's enough coal dust in the air in uh, Detroit. <laughs> Jack White actually said, I'd play tambourine on this record if that's it. I don't care. I just want to be in the same room with her and be able to work on this. So there you go. he's just trying to get in there. Um, I mean, he, he did it with the flat duo Jets. He tried doing it with the Stooges. Mm-hmm. In fact, him and... Um, Iggy had a plan to do a record together for a very long time until it finally fell through. Jack had wanted to have the whole band live in a house together with him and record this thing, and and Iggy was really into it, and then (laughs) just time went on, and they're like, I don't think this is feasible, Jack. Oh, man. Whoa, wow. We'll have to do an episode on Jack albums that never (laughs) were. I didn't realize that was a thing. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah, like a lot of people, when they come into money, they go out and buy everything they wanted to buy, and Jack's priorities, I think, are pretty clear. He went out and sought out the things that were important to him, Mm -hmm. which was befriending and working alongside musicians he admired, in addition to doing things like making records and continuing to make records and form Third Man Records. So he's using his money for his priorities and it's just funny to see what a guy like Jack does with his money versus a guy like you look at Michael Jackson. Like, what are his what were his priorities? Not to shit all over Michael uh, Jackson, but like his priorities and yeah, well his dolls. right. Well, his priorities were to build a Disneyland in his backyard. That was his priority. So he did it. Jack's priority was to produce a Loretta Lynn. It's not a one to one comparison, <laughs> but I'm just trying to draw a parallel for like how these how famous people use their money. I'm trying to say Jack did a good thing. Goddamn. All right. All right. So Jack was put in charge of producing and arranging and hiring the backing band and figuring out what this album was going to be. He was basically the boss of this album. Ah, the boss man, as Lily May calls it. Exactly. It's like a Ringo record, you know, like everybody's coming together to make this album and it's a Ringo album in the end, but... Right, but it's a group effort. It's a group effort. So he, he, he wanted to do only songs that she had written, which is something that she hadn't actually done since her first album <laughs> with Owen Bradley. And Owen used to insist that, that Loretta, you know, include her own material. Yeah. And Jack was pretty insistent upon it, too. They found a house to record in Nashville, which was engineer Eric McConnell's house on Boscobel Street. So it was recorded in this kind of really old country home. Huh. Loretta reminisces, we recorded in this old house in East Nashville. I swear I thought that house is going to fall in around us, which I'm sorry, Eric McConnell's <laughs> uh, Loretta Lynn is dissing your home. <laughs> Jack, when putting together the band, he didn't want a country band because he, he he knows people have seen that before. He claims that she is the country, and you could put a punk rock band behind her, and you it'd still be country. Right. So he got the Greenhorns, and Loretta <laughs> says, is that what you call Which, uh, that band consisted of Patrick Keeler, Jack Lawrence, David Feeney, Dan John Miller, and Jack White himself. 
Loretta nicknamed them the do-whatters because they got in there and did whatever they needed them to do. <laughs> that's a that's a cute nickname for Loretta. She's got that sort of like off the cuff way of talking, you know, that she's she's got a kind of a quick yeah. wit, but it's sort of she's a nicknamey kind of like reminds me how like W used to <laughs> talk a little bit, you know. Yeah. And pretty soon after Jack White would form the Rack and Tours with most of those people. In fact, Brendan Benson produces some of this album. Right. He actually talks about forming them right afterwards in the Vault DVD, and Loretta says, you were just using me as a guinea pig, weren't you? <laughs> um, and th- it would kind of set a tone for what the Racks are going to become. All of this stuff, this country vibe, this more polished feel to what Jack was, was normally doing. Right. It wasn't as lo-fi. It was still pretty unpolished for a Loretta Lynn record, but it was pretty hi-fi for Jack. So it's really the lost Tours record. Would it? Would that be fair to say? Like, I would say it's the beta test. Okay. All it's, right. Because it's not like the full racks. Right. Brendan isn't yet. playing on it, but he is there. He's involved. I didn't realize he... Yeah, I didn't realize he was part of the production on that, because that really cements it as a pretty Tours kind of right. thing. It's more like Jack White playing with the greenhorns and going, hey, you guys are pretty fun to play with. Yeah. Hey, my buddy Brendan. <laughs> Come on over here. All that to say, they still went for a pretty lo-fi sound, like I said, for, for Loretta's work. She had said, I'm quoting from uh, an article with CMT, by the way, he didn't really want a polished sound. He didn't get it either. I didn't want to overthink it, White explained. I didn't want to push it and try to perfect it. She sounds brilliant right off the bat. Her voice is gorgeous. And it is. It really holds up in, on that record. She's like, you know, she's an older lady, but her voice sounds great. It does. It really does. James, just do yourself a favor after this call and just Google Jack White Cowboy. <laughs> <laughs> it's going to give you a real hoot nanny. She handed Jack a stack of songs. She had like over 50 songs that she had penned over the years. That's right. That hadn't been used. Yeah. So they were they were from different eras, yeah. right? They were from like from throughout yeah. her career. Uh, that she had never used because, you know, she was either doing one thing or another and touring or putting out an album, you know, she just had so many. How wild is it that this guy got handed a stack of songs twice? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Because the same thing happened with Hank Williams, only Hank was dead and they told Jack to finish it. But it, basically the same thing happened with Hank Williams. They handed him a stack of songs and said, hey, pick one of these. To do well it's funny they decided to play like the first seven to ten of them in one day and those takes are on the album real that was one day first take i i feel like uh miss being a missus might have been a first take well i'll get into that in a minute jack white says i was walking in into this on tiptoes humbly asking permission to be involved i went down and spent a day with her after she sent me some demos of songs which were all just amazing and i said okay let's sit down and kind of play these songs together but she wouldn't play guitar in Mm. front of me so i'd ask her what key it was in and she'd know the key and the lyrics and chord changes and we went from there loretta had so many songs piles and piles of songs she first sent me 10 demos And when we went down to Nashville, in two days, we recorded eight of those. All eight are on the album. Then she sent over another batch, and I picked the best of those. That's nuts. I wonder if he went through, I mean, obviously we'll get to that in a future episode, but I wonder if he went through a similar process with Wanda Jackson. Yeah, I'm curious. Although that one obviously included covers and things. Right. Jack goes on and on about how, how much she's a genius and how brilliant she is, and she just 
keeps writing and writing. And I feel like that's one thing he's trying to emulate. Mm-hmm. But they recorded 13 to 15 songs in 12 days. They recorded more than a song a day, at least. Wow. I mean, that's about the pace he likes to stay at. Mm-hmm. And he wanted to do them as quick as possible to retain the emotion and quality in the songs. So much so that he wanted to do the songs all in one take whenever possible. Loretta says, I think Jack thought he'd work me to death. <laughs> he don't know that I work all the time. <laughs> Then Jack continues, uh, I wanted to present each song the best way possible and bring out the character of each song. If it was subtle, it needed to be subtle. If she was belting it out, we needed to get intense with it. Loretta says, I only got to sing the song one or two times. Every time I would sing something, Jack would say, I love it. <laughs> that's a, that's kind of a fan talking there. You <laughs> exactly. Know? He's a good yes man. He knows what sounds good. So I have to believe he would be honest with her. You know, I, I think he was pro- probably aware of what was happening. He's got his producer pants on. He's got his producer pants on. I mean, one of the things he talks a lot about in that DVD is how she could never remember any lyrics to any of the songs. <laughs> like, So Jack knows the score here, but like, obviously she wrote them. Yeah. When they're recording now, Jack's 29. Yeah, he was a young dude. And she's 69. Okay. She continues about his process. It wasn't doctored like they do today. They doctor everything up. If you miss one little thing in a line, they go back and get that one little thing. I sang them songs one time. (laughs) I thought surely to God he was going to let me sing them more than once because Owen, her longtime producer, uh, would say, get in there and sing it three or four times to get your voice opened up. But not Jack. The first time I sang it, we took it. <laughs> there's something to, there's something magic about that first take sometimes. Yeah. You hear sometimes artists talk about that where they don't want to go back and retake it again because they're losing the emotion. So the, you're telling me there are more songs than what wound up on Van Leer Rose? Is there like a another... Was there Were there B-sides or... Yeah, The Vault released one extra bonus song and then they, they did some other songs apparently because in some interviews... She definitely says, we recorded 15 songs in some interviews. She does misremember sometimes. Like, when she got on stage with, with Jack White's solo group in 2015, she claimed that Whispering Sea was the second song she ever wrote. In the Vault DVD, she claims it was the first song she ever wrote. Right. I think there's just some yeah misremembering. Either that or there are a couple songs that are still floating out there. Right. That's a great song. I, I assume we'll get into that one a little bit, but that's a really good song, Whispering Sea. So yeah, Loretta says, there's one song that had us laughing, and I says... Come on, Jack, let's get the heck out of here. He kept that on the record. Hey, we're leaving here right now. We're leaving you two losers to die in your drink. Come on, Jack, let's get out of here. Y'all mop up this place when we get through, okay? Two losers. <laughs> it's so funny. It's just like being in the front room singing. <laughs> it's countryer than anything I've ever cut. <laughs> this whole album is so country to her that it it shocks even Loretta Lynn, you know, country star supreme. Yeah. She says, I didn't know it was going to be this country, but it's country. It's as country <laughs> as I am. Uh, it's so country. It's even more country than anything I've ever recorded. If I went in to record it alone, I probably wouldn't have done it like that. But since Jack was doing it, I stayed out of it. I thought this is the best thing to do to give him the right away. And he took it. It mimicked in a way... Johnny Cash's revival career. Uh, a lot of people kind of compare oh, it to that. Yeah, about around the same yeah, time. Yeah, and, and sure. Cash, you know, recorded that Nine Inch Nails song, and then died died shortly after right. that. Um, uh, and a lot of people compare it to that. And they asked Loretta about these comparisons, and she didn't really even 
realize it. She was like, somebody said, are you going to do this like the Johnny Cash record? And I said, I don't understand what you're asking me (laughs) because I didn't know about Johnny's record. I'm on the road working all the time. So you're the last to know. Uh, Yeah, it's I mean, I guess people need to frame these things for themselves. But yeah, I mean, obviously, this was happening completely independently of that. Yeah, it's just coincidence. The album was mixed by Stuart Sykes, whom we talked about in detail in episode two, White Blood Cells. A known Jack collaborator. Right. Which is it's funny that it's him because White Blood Cells is what got Loretta and Jack connected. True. And it was released on Interscope Records, which we'll remember from the Smash Mouth episode. (laughs) We're sorry. sorry. I'm sorry! Released on Interscope Records on April 27th, 2004, later than released by Third Man Records in 2015. Throughout this whole process, Jack and Loretta formed this really powerful bond and friendship during her yeah. session work with, with Jack. She would hold Jack's hand and say, this is really going to shake him up. <laughs> Jack says, I'm impressed but not surprised that she sings better now than she ever has. She's proven to me again and again that she was the greatest female singer-songwriter of the 20th century, and she's got more to say and an amazing way to say it than most people nowadays. Her stories are cuttingly acute and witty. She's a clever angel. Her songwriting is impeccable. She's so real, I don't know whether to laugh or cry. This man is gushing. Yeah. She is a... I mean, her voice does sound really good. Yeah. There's still a a little hint of frailty in there, obviously, because she's an older lady. But, boy, I mean, it sounds vibrant. It sounds like she's not, like, about to keel over. Like, Wanda Jackson, I feel like, sounded very old. Uh, It still sounded good. She's got that cash grit. Yeah. that, That Dylan grit. Right. The grit, yes. Uh, and it's not to say that there's anything necessarily wrong with that either. Not that there's anything wrong with that. I appreciate the Wanda Jackson record as well, but Loretta sounds a little more vibrant, a little more relevant, maybe, yeah. would be the right word. Uh, Jack even comments on that. Um, he's amazed by the notes that she's hitting, and he says, I can't hit certain notes that I wrote four years ago. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. That's right. Lynn says, he's got a lot of energy. He's still a kid, you know, so he feels like he could jump the river and turn around and jump back over. He don't think that nobody's any older than him. (laughs) She also says, sometimes people come into your life that you would never expect. That's what Jack White did. Who would have ever thought I would have to record with a rock and roller from Detroit? Not me, but I sure am (laughs) glad I did. I thought Jack was like a young Owen Bradley. He wants you to be who you are and do what you do. I'm telling you, he is great. I love him so much. We are really great friends now. Oh, well, that's really sweet. Yeah. So uh, on, the, on that touching note, do you want to get into the track by track? Let's do it. <laughs> the album kicks off with Van Leer Rose, the eponymous title. track yeah it's a fantastic track it's 
touching and and sets the tone for this country album. It's about her mother. Her father worked in a Van Leer coal mine, and uh, her mother was the rose that her father had found. Oh, I didn't know that. Oh, that's a cool story. Because, like, her whole deal is the coal miner's daughter thing. Yeah. I had no idea that the title of this was tied so closely to that. That's really yeah, sweet. So her mother is the Van Leer Rose. And so a lot of the lyrics go in depth into into what it was like to, like, remembering her mother and remembering stories. And Jack actually puts it, it's almost like part two of a coal miner's daughter, the song. And we move right along to, to track two. Portland, Oregon. Oh, I love this song. When I first heard this song, you know, it struck me as not only is it very clearly like a good pop country song, like it's it's got pop sensibilities because the hook is really mm-hmm. tight, but uh, it's a great Jack vocal. And I mean, this is really where that raconteurs thing kind of comes into the fore because it's a badass yeah. song and, and, and it's opening that haunting note that he jangles on and then that little sort of jazz sort of slide that Keeler does into the thing and uh, and then that lick Jack puts on it it's very him very that era sounds like something off of Broken Boy Soldiers like I could see that if, if Loretta Lynn wasn't singing it, I could see that on Broken Boy Soldiers. So, uh, obviously, I, I assume most people have heard this song, but I can't recommend it highly enough if you haven't, because it's freaking awesome. And it's, uh, like Paul said, it's got a duet with Jack White. It's um, it's about a drunken one-night stand. Uh, apparently, there's a story behind it. In uh, Loretta Lynn's second memoir, Still Woman Enough, she apparently was teasing her jealous husband, um with the means of a fake blatant date with Ernest Tubbs guitar player Cal Smith on the evening of a Portland golf tournament. So apparently this was her kind of flirting with this guy uh, to piss off wow. Ernest. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Wow. Well, Portland, Oregon and slow gin pins that ain't love and tell me what is a actually insisted upon a duet jack white said all right let's do portland oregon together and we'll talk to each other at the bar because it's kind of a two-way conversation that is really awesome loretta had wanted us to do a duet together which scared me because i was afraid people would think i pushed my way into the song just to sing with her for my own selfishness originally she sang all the lyrics but they are written for two people so that was the one to do talking back and forth he loves he loves those kind of mm-hmm. songs, and he loves duetting with women on stage. He loves playing with that male female duality. He does that with everyone from Mossheart to Lily May to even Meg. Yeah. Uh, but he he loves doing that kind of thing. And so when I saw it, seeing him do it with Loretta was, I was like, yeah, that makes sense. That's that's that seems like something he would do. Yeah. And funnily enough, she didn't know he was going to do it right away. They talked about doing a duet, but she didn't know which song really. <laughs> so. One night, he and her daughter, Patsy, tested it out after Loretta went home for the night. 
with Jack White singing on it. Oh. And the next morning she came in and she says that she didn't know he was going to do that. I think it's great. And, you know, I didn't know he was going to do that. I left the studio and the next day I went back and he was playing it back and he had his, he had his voice. I said, who is that? And he said, it's me. <laughs> I said, well, it sounds great, but they're still country. It's kind of funny that she, she didn't even realize, first of all, A, he was going to do it, and B, that it was him. It's a good vocal on his part. I have to believe he was bringing his A game for Loretta. And it, this this song also has a really great video, uh, which has uh, Jack ogling Loretta Lynn at a bar and Loretta ogling Jack at a bar. It's very, very weird. But yeah. it's got the whole raconteurs, yeah. you know, there, except for Brendan. I'm Brendan. It's funny because it's just basically watching the Tours play. Anyway. One more thing on this one I wanted to bring up. We just did an episode on Ms. Margot Price, James, part two of our Country Women trilogy. And Margot gets a lot of comparisons to Loretta Lynn, mm-hmm. pro- probably just because she's a countryish female singer-songwriter and people tend to box people in with others that are of the same situation. However, Margot Price does a lovely cover of Portland, Oregon. Oh, wow. That I think we should play a little bit of right here, James. Splendid, Paul. Thank you. Oh, I found it during the Margot episode and couldn't find a place for it. And so, as luck would have it. Yeah. Like a slow gin fizz, I I have tingles all over my tummy from that. <laughs> tingles on your oh, tummy? Ha, oh, get him ha, out of here. Ha, 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 Somebody ha, drag ha, ha. belligerent Santa out of My, my, what a funny looking fellow with tingles on your tummy. Did you get me a new Loretta Lynn album I for did Christmas not. this I year? I really didn't. I am a fan. I am a big fan. I saw her in 63. Uh, that's a year, all right. Did you Did you drink? She played in the north. Did you drink that whole pitcher of, of gin? I'm drunk right now. Ho, 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 ho. Oh, boy. If she ever somehow listens to this, which is doubtful, she is going to be very confused at who this Santa Claus is yelling at her. My, my, James, you're not going to get a new PlayStation for Christmas with that f***ing attitude, are you? Oh, 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 Goodbye, oh. belligerent Santa. Goodbye, you f***ing <laughs> oh, oh, oh. oh, thank God he's gone. I Don't can hear you, gone. you little dip. Even leave the room, Santa. You better watch out. You better not cry. I love Van Leer Rose, and I'm telling you why. Cause Santa's a great big fan of Loretta Lynn. Oh, oh. Wow, happy Mother's Day. Sorry, James, what were you saying? Uh, <laughs> Paul, we're gonna. We're having some trouble with Belligerent Santa, which brings us to our next song, Trouble on the Line. Ah, I love this one. Yeah, it's a good one. Communication's one thing we never seem to find. Oh, Lord, I'm sorry, but there's trouble on the line. It's 
claimed to be co-written by her and her late husband, which is funny because it's a song about a fight they had. A really bad fight. Yeah. She said that years ago there was a communication breakdown with her husband, Do, and they, they basically they had a huge fight. She left to go on tour, and she didn't call him for three weeks while she was on the road. Wow. And she was very, very angry when she wrote this, but it made for a good song, and she, you know, she claims the best songs come from the time she's down, so... Right. There's a song John Lennon wrote called Losing You, which is very similar. Uh, He was having trouble reaching uh, Yoko on the telephone and uh, so wrote the song about how they were having trouble communicating. Uh, It it reminds me of Trouble on the Line in that way. It's a good song. Yeah, it's a good song. And and, it's a tender, tender ballad. Yeah. And that's going to branch us right into our next song family tree ah i like this one yeah i like this one too woman you don't know me you can bet that i know you everybody in this whole darn town knows you too got a lot of uh, chutzpah, you know, uh, a la her other big songs, Fist City and Woman Enough. But uh, yeah, it's about an aggrieved wife going after a woman who's seducing her husband. Loretta claims, uh, that family tree was easy to write because the end of it, you know, where I say, I brought along this old bulldog Charlie and the bills that's overdue. Uh, that's happened many, many times. That's the only way I can do is write from true life or else being able to stand from the side and watch somebody else's life going by. That's the only way I can write a song. Uh, so I guess that's happened many times. Fair enough. Uh, as Robert Johnson would attest, <laughs> yeah, exactly. you know, sometimes you just got to ask for that extra nickel. And you know sometimes what I mean? you just got to ask for mercy, Paul, because the next song is have mercy. <laughs> mercy on me, baby. Yeah, this is a good one. Yeah, good it one. was... Uh, they went super rock and roll with this one. Yeah, it's rockabilly, but the way they play it is very rock Which is and roll. funny because the song was originally written for Elvis. Ah, <laughs> no wonder it sounds like yeah. Wanda. Have mercy on me, baby. I'm down up on my knees. Have mercy on me, baby. Just as you please Well, you know that I love you I put no one else above you Have mercy on me, baby Have mercy She says, uh, so you know what? And this is true Have mercy on me, baby On the new record wasn't a new song I wrote that for Elvis Presley Just before he died And I never sung the song again but when I went in to cut this record with Jack and with him being wow. rock and roll, I thought, well, I'll just drag Have Mercy on Me Baby out. That's awesome. At first, I was the only one singing it. I let him know I was a fan of Elvis, but Jack said, I like that. Let's cut it. And I hadn't sung rock and roll, but I could. That is nuts. I, I mean, I could see Elvis singing that. That could have been a hit for him because that, like that sounds like a great hit Elvis song. I could see that as being like part of his well-known repertoire even even though he was 70s Elvis. Well, <laughs> yeah, I guess yeah. But well, 70s Elvis still had like some little shining spots. White says of the track, the Greenhorns rhythm section is coming out strong on that. The bass runs and stuff. 
That could be for Elvis or the Yardbirds or Loretta Lynn all at once. And her singing at the end there, that Have Mercy rave up, well, that's just insane. And she was laughing so hard. They sound like they're having a lot of fun on it. This is one of the songs that I'm sure a lot of country aficionados were getting angry at. You know, starting to say, oh, she's going all rock and roll on us. Because we know there was some backlash. Yeah. It ruffled some feathers, for sure. But the DVD has a fun acoustic performance of this, and Loretta forgets, like, half the lyrics. Right. But, uh, <laughs> That's right. Yeah, yeah. It's cute. It's a cute scene. Jack's trying to guide her through it yeah. and stuff. And that brings us to High on the Mountaintop, which is a pretty good song. brings us to Little Red Shoes. Ah, yeah, this is a good one. I could see, like, Meg mumbling this one. Because it's, like it's like a story with, like... It's spoken word. Spoken word. And she's telling a story about her mom, you know, stealing little uh, red shoes for her when she was a little girl. I was 11 months old. I was just starting to walk. And Daddy always kept a big stick behind the door just in case somebody was to come in that was drunk on moonshine, you know, and Daddy had to do something about it. And this woman, they called her Old Aunt Boyd. She come in and she was telling Mommy about her uh, husband she thinks is going out with this woman in Paintsville. So she rode back with that big stick show Mommy. Now she was running with this woman in the head with it. And when she went back with it, she hit me in the head. And Mommy said I cried for five days. This is a story that she went into in her previous memoirs. And Jack, you know, asked about it. It was in Still Woman Enough. Uh, it's about a time when she very nearly died as a child and her mother stole her some shoes to warm the feet. Jack White actually asked about the shoes to her in, in the house uh-huh. and he just started recording her talking about it. She didn't know he was recording it. <laughs> um, and Jack White... Oh, what a Jack thing to <laughs> exactly. do. Exactly. Ed Jack arranged and wrote the musical portion of this. So this is the other, there's very few that are co-written. This is the other one that's co-written because Jack did all the music in the background with slide guitar and stuff. And this is the song that Brendan Benson yeah. actually engineered. It does have a very raconteurs sounding musical quality. Yeah. I, I like this song a lot because it's different. It sticks out on the album to me as, as being a different song. And yeah. It breaks up the album a little bit. Yeah, this this one in Portland, Oregon, and uh, Miss Being a Misses, I think, are my three favorites. But this one has, it, it kind of hums along a little bit. Even though it's weird, I kind of, you know, I sort of dig it anyway. Yeah, yeah, so that, that, uh, that'll actually bring us to our next song, God Makes No Mistakes. Ah. And I like this song. It's a, it's a touching song. Why I've heard people say, why is my child blind? Why is that old drunk still living? Daddy like mine is dying Our blessed father Gives us life Has the power to take it away There's no reason For what he does God makes no mistakes 
it, this is the the song that really you know solidifies how I think Loretta feels about her faith and pain and and suffering and stuff. The the title comes from Genesis in the Bible. God knows that God does not make mistakes, and it's interesting. It paints a nice picture. You know, even if if everything is going wrong, everything leads up to there being a grand reason or or some kind of end to the suffering. Yeah, people take comfort in that kind of stuff. Yeah. So that brings us to women's prison. Yeah, this one's funny. Like uh, those country, those little country artists can't stop singing about prison, and they love it. But it is one that a song that Loretta never did before. So I guess she set a precedent for Margot at least. Yeah. Well, it's not just Margot. It's just like all these country artists. I'm I'm telling you, the first ten songs on that Merle Haggard thing I listened to are all about prison. And I'm convinced he didn't even actually go. <laughs> yeah. Sometimes it's like an internment camp. Sometimes it's like a prison. It's like Merle, you're full of shit. Make up your mind. Loretta was particularly proud of this song. She said. It was the most different song in that whole album because nobody's ever written anything about a women's prison. She says, you know, I go to the men's prison and entertain them, but nobody ever asked me to go into the women's prison. When I put the song together, I was thinking, why don't they just do something for women, too? I mean, we're in jail and the ones that ain't, it feels like it now and then. <laughs> and she says, I know I felt that way many times. At the end of this song... There's a there's a chorus of Amazing Grace. Uh-huh. Jack and her talked about possibly getting a gospel chorus to do it, but they ended up using Jack singing as softly as he could. Really? And it's funny. Wow. It sounds a little like Loretta in a way, but it's not. <laughs> Jack White said, it was so funny. Loretta said, maybe we should do something at the end there where somebody yells, pull the switch, pull the switch. <laughs> next song in this album is this old house the bob vila <laughs> tribute song no one was demanding <laughs> yeah it's it's full of people with boston accents yeah and fl- l- just lots of flannel This one is that one is Margoy to the max. I think vice versa. But uh, yeah, Jack's got got the count in on that one. That's a nice one. It sounds a little bluegrassy, you know. This old yeah. house. I think he duets on it. Yeah, he's definitely duetting on that. So that's like a full Jack vocal on that one. Well, I typed in this old house into YouTube, and now I'm just watching this old house. <laughs> 
Hey, hey, Paul. Yeah. Do you ever want to learn how to seal leaky ductwork? I'm, I'm watching how to reseal leaky ductwork, Paul. Yeah. Margo's out there in her Catholic schoolgirl outfit working on the siding. And, um... That pressurized ducts. They get to this computer here. That's a pressurized duck. It's a duck in a vice. Eight square inches. <laughs> PSI. Uh, anyway, I love Bob Vila, James. I do too. But you know who Bob Vila loves more is Mrs. Leroy Brown. Oh. Mrs. Leroy Brown is the next song on this album. bit of red brain on the beginning of this one yeah a little bit of that slide little bit of that stripesy slide yeah you know? yeah yeah i can hear that It's an interesting song because it's kind of accidentally an answer to Bad Bad Leroy Brown. What's that? It's a Jim Croce hit. Jim Croce. Croce. Croce? Croce. And Loretta says she came up with the same character name but had forgotten about that song. Town. And if you go down there, you better just be well. This man's mustache looks like the forest moon of Endor. Oh, he is uh, landoing all over that. That mustache landoed in the right place. Loretta says that she came up with the same character name, but had forgotten about that song. Yeah, it's, it's yeah. homage. It's fine. Croce. Um, Jack says, when she sang me Mad Mrs. Leroy Brown, I started playing the riff on a piano, a Ray Charles riff, because she was talking about Ray Charles all the time. And then she just belted this one out. Hmm. And from that upbeat song, we get to Miss Being Mrs., which I know you like a lot. Oh, I love this one. Oh, it's such a yes. downer. But it's like, it's a good downer. It's such a hurtful side. Oh, wow, Miss Being Mrs. about uh, missing her 
husband after he passed on and how she took 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 it as a an homage to him continues to wear the wedding band but wears it on her right hand and uh that is something that we saw jack do right with karen as a symbol of i guess that relationship moving on uh which which we learned about a few episodes back i believe in the going going solo episode but the the uh, it's a, it's a tender song. Uh, J- there's a great music video for it. Jack's all up in the video. It's uh, it's a sweet one. Really, really memorable song with really poignant lyrics. Yeah, it's like you said. It's reflections on her late husband Oliver or do. They definitely had a troubled marriage, to say the least. To quote her, yeah. she was fed up with his drinking and bullying early on. She decked him one night and sent his teeth a scattering. <laughs> but at the same time, they also had a loving relationship at times so their their downs were definitely met with equally powerful ups and she wrote this song and she says you know what really makes me feel good about things if i'm feeling something i'll put it in a song and that helps um jack plays hmm. acoustic on this uh and he appears in the music video for it the acoustic right. work is is very bare bones and accompanies kind of a haunting sad song yeah on on her husband's death in 1996, Loretta reminisced, I miss him so much. He kind of kept things going, like me recording. He'd always tell me how good I was, and that always helped a lot. He would say, you know, we need to get a new record out or whatever. He always kept me moving, and if it hadn't been for him, I wouldn't have been singing, period, because he thought I could sing, and he put me to work. That's sweet. A very touching tribute to a complex relationship that's not as black and white as... You know, some people might like these kinds of things to read. And last but not least is uh, the song Story of My Life. It's a pretty all-encompassing story of of Loretta. Well, here's the story of my life. Listen and I'll tell it twice. Yeah, hey, yeah, hey, yeah, hey. Well, I was born in old Kentucky. In them hills where folks are lucky. And it's paradise to me. Like most songs of hers, this one comes from a place of memory, and these are actual stories in her life. She tells things as she sees them. Right. And it was actually a a shorter song that had been cut for a previous album in the 60s, and uh, it's about how she didn't get paid for the, the movie coal miner's daughter really yeah and it also talks about her husband and her children and her music and it's got a lot of memories of hers and it, it's fairly autobiographical as the title would would tell you but it ends with a joyful laugh yeah a, she seems like a good humored person like, like she an ice can... cream man yes a good humor man hey, hey, hey. in 2015 during the the vault re-release they added a song just just to have you back Oh, it wasn't long before we hit the top Show after show, the road never stopped I find it then what I know now How to put that darn old guitar down Thought we had all the time in the world Good song. I know, I don't think I've heard this one, James, because I don't have oh, the vault okay. release. This was a big year for for Loretta's re-release in 2015. It was around the 10th anniversary of of the release of that album. It wasn't the exact 10th. I think it was the 11th. But Loretta actually 
was a surprise guest with Brendan Benson and Jack Lawrence on stage. It was in Nashville at the Bridgestone Arena. And actually, William Tyler was one of the opening acts as well. Ooh, William Tyler. Yeah, William Tyler, I saw, open for Marco Price. Uh, he's a nice uh, Nashvillean instrumentalist. He he does some, some pretty cool, trippy, vaguely country rock and roll. I, I like it a lot. Rambling string pickums. So uh, let's get to the reception, Paul. Reception? Yes. Speaking of receptions... Loretta hosted her first ever album release party for this uh, in her entire career was for this album. She hosted it at the Hermitage Hotel in Nashville, which the Hermitage Hotel, you'll remember, is has the bathroom that the raconteurs posed in front of for the Steady As She Goes single cover. Ah, yeah, yeah, that's cool. Peaked at number two on Billboard magazine's country chart. It was also number 24 on Billboard's pop chart, which is crazy for a country album to do that yeah but apparently modern country radio wouldn't play the album and loretta theorizes maybe they were afraid i'd gone rock and roll on them jack white has some some other thoughts i'll play here but it's not because she's controversial because she's old and country radio won't play the record and you know i'm talking to people at the label and her management i said what's going on why is the country radio playing this you know they're playing a save a horse ride a cowboy 20 times a day and they can't play miss me and mrs or portland oregon once a day for loretta lynn for goodness sake i mean they don't respect their their elders why is that happening why is that happening that this legend can make such a great achievement and country radio can ignore it and the cmas can ignore it he definitely has some thoughts about why they were getting the cold shoulder i mean it's unfortunate because it's a good record but I wonder, though, if you you wouldn't be able to say the same thing about Full Circle, and so I wonder if the country stations are playing that one, too. I don't know. I don't I'm going to say probably not, although it seems like a lot of people have warmed up. A lot of country purists have warmed up to this. I think at the time, people couldn't see the Jack White for the trees, for the blues on two trees. They, right. they thought he was like a one-note act. Right, right. The DVD actually opens with Jack saying, we're chewing Big Red. Remember the last time we chewed Big Red? <laughs> we were on our way to the Grammys, which on their way to the Grammys, because they were nominated for, this album was nominated for five Grammys. Wow. Uh, it actually won two of them. It won Best Country Album for the whole album. That's awesome. And for Portland, Oregon, it won Best Country Collaboration with Vocals. That's fantastic. I am so happy to hear that. O- overall, it had a really, really positive reception most most places gave it really really high marks which is again why it's so weird that we didn't hear about it or maybe we did and we just didn't care right at the time i don't know uh bbc said van lee rose may sound like a radical departure for lynn whose place in the nashville pantheon is as assured as patsy klein yet strangely it feels more like a return to her roots than some trendy attempt to garner a young audience lynn herself compares white to her original producer owen bradley and she's not far wrong somehow he's managed to get this legend to produce a legendary album absolutely essential av club said it it could have sounded uncomfortable but instead it sounds like a work of a fan getting a -a once-in-a-lifetime chance to shine the spotlight on a favorite artist eccentricities and all Given a chance to be herself, Lynn responds with a powerful return to form. White seems to be likely to be sharing his love with a bunch of new fans soon, which, to his credit, he did. He, he shared it with a lot of third man fans who then branched into Loretta Lynn's body of work, myself included. Yeah, me too. 
USA Today and Rolling Stone gave it four stars out of five. Blender gave it five stars. It got very, very positive marks. Well-deserved. Yeah, and uh, I think that'll lead to uh, to our review of the the album, Paul. We, we got to review the record. So do you want to tell the folks out there how our review system works? Well, James, yes. Yeah, so we have a three-tiered system. We either like the record, we love the record, or it's one of our very favorites or or a favorite. You know, we figure we like pretty much everything Jack does, so it's a 10 system was Flawed. a little it was unnecessary. So, yeah. So we rate this out of three, th- out of three men. James? Uh, so... I'll kick it off. Of this album, Jack says, every song was attacked differently. I love to do that and tried my best to give each song its own character. Nobody should be able to say, on your new album, I like track six. They should be able to say, I like that song, Portland, Oregon, or Van Leer Rose, and remember the name and the mood of the song. And that's exactly how I feel about this album, is I can pinpoint song names really easily on this as songs that I like. Yeah. I'm not in love with this album. I don't think it's one of my favorites. Uh, I do go back to it a lot, a lot more than I thought I would, actually. I, I do put it on maybe, you know, once every couple months, I'll spin it on my turntable. But it's not one that has a lot of nostalgia for me. It It is one that has a lot of interest for me, though. So overall, I'm going to give it 1.75 men out of three. Ooh, 1.75. All right. Well, I think that's a very fair assessment. I share your feelings on it. If this were rate Portland, Oregon, the song out of three men, I would give that four men. I love that song. I think it's one of Jack's strongest collaborations. You know, I that one, if you had to put that stack that one against Alicia Keys and Beyonce and stuff, I think Portland, Oregon, I think it's a tough call, actually, but I think Portland, Oregon wins that match. However, the album on a whole, I return to much less than I do that particular song. That particular song, I return to a lot. So I would have to say that I'm going to give this uh, album as a whole, just, you know, keeping in mind its historical value and also songs like Miss Being a Mrs. and Little Red Shoes, songs I really do enjoy. I'm going to give it a two men out of three. Nice. Solid. Two men, yes. Well, Paul, that's going to do it for Van Leer Rose. Do you want to throw it to our third woman this week? Oh, let's throw it to our third mama this week. A very special guest. It, it, it's Mike again, isn't it? It's Mike, yeah. Mike Josaitis. <laughs> Welcome to our very special third woman this week, our mother, Elizabeth Kavinsky. Mom, you're with us. I know, it's so exciting. Hi, Mom. hi mom we're on a podcast thanks for joining us i know it's very exciting i never thought i'd see the day (laughs) in like a good way or in like i'm so disappointed in you way (laughs) in a good way (laughs) okay so mom you're here it's uh mother's day just around the corner and uh, in honor of such, we wanted you to come on here and just tell us a little bit about your history with music, the the kinds of bands that you started out seeing when you were growing up and when you were a little older and what you're listening to today. 
and we're get, we'll bring it all a little bit back around, and and you can tell us a little bit about what you think as to how it relates to Jack White. I know Dad had very strong feelings as to uh, Jack White's influences and how they how he was detecting them in the songs, and he told us as such. So just kind of take it away. Like we want to hear the full mom music experience, <laughs> the full mom tea. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, Well, I grew up in central New Jersey and my house was, my household was a little unusual because I have five sisters, as you know, so six girls in the house. And we grew up in this kind of rural pocket of suburban New Jersey. And so it was quite odd in a way because I could ride my bicycle to Princeton, but yet I could just be outdoors, um, just hanging around with with the other kids, listening to our little AM radios, you know, and uh, <laughs> just being a like a country kid. Yeah. So the house, I, the house was was filled with music, church going family. So the the good old hymns were really a big part mm. of my musical development because I, you know, started hearing those frequently from the time I was an infant. And because I had so many sisters, we had all kinds of other music in the house. So we had everything from Broadway show tunes to big band music to, because of the religious influence, even some spirituals. Um, There was also bluegrass, pop music, lots of folk music. So my sisters were listening to things like Simon and Garfunkel and pop music that was out in the 60s. And obviously there's a big age difference across the different sisters. So I'm Mm. sure you were getting a lot of different levels of music between the between the oldest to the to the youngest. Yeah, yeah, and the Beatles became more and more important as I got older and uh, some of my sisters started um, listening to the Beatles. So I have some old singles, actually, from the 60s of the Beatles, which are pretty cool. Those are yours? <laughs> yeah, yeah, my sisters just kind of gave them to me, so... Yeah. Oh, and you know. How come we never knew about this? And the the record players, you know, were really funny. Um, I've heard mention of them in, uh, I think, in some of your podcasts, but they were little pop up record players. To play a single, you had to put in this little insert, and there were three speeds. Uh So there was 78, 45, and 33 revolutions per minute RPM. So that's where you got the name 45s from. Right. And a lot of modern players, I find, skip over the 78 speed. Mm-hmm. Right. When I, I found a, I bought a batch of really old records from a flea market one time, and I couldn't even play them on on, on one of my turntables because it didn't have, you have that speed available. I'm not sure exactly what you do about that, but what you got to do is you spin the record really fast on the needle. Just just keep spinning it, Paul. Just enough so that it'll play at the right <laughs> speed. <laughs> well, well, James, I won't be doing that, but thank you for the <laughs> suggestion. Yeah, I see skies are blue and oceans are white, and I think to myself, what a wonderful world. Sorry. So anyway, and as I got a little older and I got that little AM radio, oh, 77 ABC, listen to Cousin Brucey. Hi, everybody all over America. This is your Cousin Brucey. It's the WABC party. Go, go. Woo! Don't you want to tap your feet now, baby? Everybody sing. God, you're doing fine. I hear you. What are you? Cousin Bruce. 
that was big. And I was I was a little kid at that time, but that really, it just kind of seeps into your consciousness, just like for you both, the Beatles and, and all the music that you were exposed to from your growing up, it kind of just seeps into your being. And so the Motown stuff that was big on, on the radio, it really stayed with me. And I love that. And from that, I started to enjoy the blues. And as I got into high school, I was listening to pop, but I was mainly listening to the Beatles. That was really big. And I started to hear a little bit of Bruce Springsteen. He wasn't really, uh, didn't really have a lot of hits. But as I got into college and I met your dad, I started listening to a lot of Springsteen. He's he's definitely my favorite musician. I think he's really talented. I think his uh, writing is very much like poetry. I'm very uh, lyrically kind of oriented. I love music, but I love beautiful lyrics. And to me, he just does this poetry that's, I know it's a cliche, the working man's poet, but he writes for real down-to-earth people. Sure. Yeah. yeah. Well, he does. He does the working man's poetry in a way that's nuanced and not the cliche. Right. Uh, I have a very good memory, Mom, of of you and me in the car when I was. I must have been maybe. F- Five, but I was very little, and you had, I think it was Born to Run on, but you had the song 10th Avenue Freeze Out. Oh, uh, yeah, I love that one. And yeah, yeah. you would sing along with that song, and I always loved, yeah. like, riding in the car, <laughs> and you would sing that song, and, and I have a very vivid memory riding down Route 1 with you playing that. Yeah. I, I have memories like that of you, Mom, listening to Bruce in the car with us, like 57 Channels and Nothing On really made an impression on me. Because it's a fun song, mm-hmm. but it it I had a more instant reaction to the Beatle music. The Bruce stuff had to grow on me, and I liked it. But it wasn't until I was in high school, I think, where it spoke to me. I think in the way it it was designed to. I think the Beatle music tends to be uh, a little more universal for very little kids to very old, yeah. you know, to the yeah. very old. Like it runs a lar- a wider gamut, mm-hmm. but. Bruce, I feel like you have to kind of get it. Like, there's a baseline get it with him, like Born to Run and Dancing in the Dark. Like, there's stuff, there's songs that are gettable, but, like, I I never forget when I was 18 hearing, like, Candy's Room for the first time, and that blew my mind. I was like, wow, that's such a a song that really nails the teenage experience, Mm -hmm. but does it in a a way that doesn't talk down to the teenagers. Earlier, I was going to say, like, the example of how you would do it poorly would be to look at, say, and not to put him on blast here, but say, like, a Johnny Cougar. Mm -hmm. You Mm -hmm. know, looking at Mr. Mellencamp, I feel like that can often be kind of cliche and kind of the wrong way to go about it but with bruce there's a sophistication to it you know yeah yeah absolutely and you know to draw the kind of relationship to jack white both of them have a sound that is different 
but yet draws upon a lot of different influences. And you can hear all those influences in their music. And yet, for some mm -hmm. reason, the sound is unique. I think both of them, they're doing what they love to do. And that's really, they're single-minded about it. And I think that's really, um, you can just tell. I've not been to a Jack White concert, but at a Bruce Springsteen concert, you can just tell He's doing exactly what he is meant yeah. to be doing and mm -hmm. having the time of his life, and yet he's still a total pro. And he's always trying to find new new ways to express himself, and yet somehow he manages to bring in all the fans in this revival meeting kind yeah. of atmosphere. So um, I imagine from what you've told me about concerts with Jack White, it's kind of a sim similar sort of experience. Yeah, it can be. I, I think there's also similarity there between the two of them in that they're both pulling from Dylan a lot. Yeah, mm -hmm. I was going to say they're both pulling from a lot of folk roots, especially you know, Springsteen has a whole, a whole album of folk roots tunes that he pulls from. Yes, which is great. We Shall Overcome the Seeger Sessions. It's one of my favorite Bruce albums. It's from, I want to say, 2005 or six, something like that. And it's really good. It's 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 songs you would imagine Jack White would be pulling from, too. This, this very, like, sort of 20s and 30s roots-style music. Well, they just released a Bob Seeger album for Record Store Day this year. Bob Seeger right. or Pete Seeger? Bob Seeger. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, the Seeger sessions is Pete Seeger, who is this old timey, folky. Ah, different Seeger. Different Seeger. Yeah. Yep. They call me the Seeger. I've been searching <laughs> low and it's bad. Guys, you don't have to humor me for that one. It's... Yeah, and Groucho is always looking for a Seeger. I'm all out of smokes. Do you happen to have a spare cigar on you? <laughs> <laughs> you mentioned the nature of the Bruce shows where everybody's singing along. It seems like a revival. That must have evoked some of the kind of hymns and church, church kind of songs that you mentioned earlier when you were growing up. Do you, do you find this a lot of parallel in the almost hymnal quality to some of Bruce's stuff, to, to the kinds of music that you were listening to when you were very little? Oh, yeah, definitely, because um, there's a lot of religious imagery in his songs, actually, and then there are so many influences. There's a lot of blues, there's a lot of Motown in his stuff, but some of his stuff is kind of similar to to a hymn again that revival meeting atmosphere kind of the call and response you don't get th that too much in in you know kind of the mainline churches but definitely mm -hmm. the gospel type influence mm -hmm. definitely yeah, even there in, like, yeah. jungle land has that you know whole section where he's just going <laughs> It's got that yeah. kind of gospel quality to it. Yeah, that's another kind of parallel, I think, with Jack White, is that it's very eclectic. And I'm really loving this podcast because I'm starting to listen to some of these third man artists. And, um, you know, I've, I've really enjoyed Hokey Lafarge and, you know, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> some of the bluegrass stuff and Margot Price, all of that. It, it's so eclectic, all these different things, like everything from a, I don't know, does he use a zither? He must use a zither somewhere. Um. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's I, what's pokey is one that I I sometimes struggle with 
But James, James did the research after he did the research on that episode. I gained a new appreciation for him, and actually, I, I picked up the Record Store Day exclusive that that came out with him. And boy, his music keeps getting better. I'm really impressed with Pokey. Th- this this uh, Riot in the Streets single is really tight. So I give that one to James for opening my eyes on that one. But it's been helpful for I think, James, it would be fair to say the podcast has been helpful for us, too, to learn about these different artists more than we would have normally, you know? No, no, not at all. <laughs> yeah, no, it definitely has. Uh, a flat duo jets, though we had heard of them previously, is is something that I didn't really explore previous to learning about this stuff in the podcast. And then I went forward and yeah. did some some of my own research. I know, Paul, you did the research for that episode, but in prepping for that episode, I listened to a lot of different flat duo jets, and then I would put on to play it while I was cooking. And so, you know, it's. It's been nice to, to go through that stuff. And and even Lily May, I, I, I've started playing some of the Gypsy stuff that you sent. And yeah, it, it's been pushing the envelope of what my musical tastes can be. Yeah. I, I would say, Paul, before Third Man Records, neither one of us listened to a lick of country, or at least not much country. Not much. Well, yeah. That, yeah. Yeah. Because country wasn't a big part of our upbringing. We did go to Nashville and to Memphis... It's true. We, we we were young in 1994. Mm-hmm. Uh, Mom, do you have memories, any memories of that trip, of the stuff we saw there? I know we went to the Grand Old Opry. We must have seen the Ryman Auditorium, but I just don't remember. Yes, and that's, that's one of the few regrets I have. I mean, I've seen so many concerts, love seeing live music, and we were at the Ryman with both of you, and Bill Monroe was playing that <laughs> evening, and I... And I I no. wanted to go, and we just couldn't manage it. You know, we were on a week's vacation, and we just yeah. couldn't manage it. So that's one of my regrets. We should have seen oh Bill Monroe God. when we had the chance, you know? Oh, yeah. wow. We were just talking about Bill Monroe on the Lily May episode. That's crazy. I had no idea. Yeah. My biggest and- memory of that trip is really Dollywood and Graceland. And I remember mm-hmm. meeting Carl Perkins' brother-in-law? Actually, son-in-law. Um, son-in-law. Yeah, and that was fantastic. We were in Jackson, Tennessee, and Dad had found that there was this restaurant called Suede's owned by Carl Perkins. So we went there, and it was... It wasn't Perkins? No, no, no James, oh, it wasn't. Oh. No. <laughs> I like Perkins. No, James, it wasn't Perkins. No. That was one for the money. <laughs> But anyway, the place was closed, so we're peering in the windows and taking photos of what we could see, and this fellow opens the door and asks if he could help us, of course, in a lovely Tennessee accent. He was so kind. He invited us in, told us all the stories about the restaurant and all the memorabilia on the walls and gave us directions to Carl's house so we could go and see Carl, but Carl wasn't home. But I mean, it was just such a great example of Southern hospitality. It was fantastic. Never forget it. He gave, he just gave out Carl's address? Well, he called him first. Oh, well, he, called. <laughs> he called first and he found out that he wasn't home, but he said, oh, well, okay, he's okay. not home, but this is the address so you could drive by if you want to see it. So. That is irresponsible of that person. <laughs> hey, we looked like a fine, upstanding family. That could have been a fret for any number of creepazoid things we want to do to Carl Perkins' house. <laughs> Well, there were big gates with guitars on them, so yeah. I don't so think we, we stole the guitar in. and yeah, and <laughs> left. <Yeah. laughs> I don't think we could have gotten in and done any creepazoid things. 
Okay. <laughs> so, mom, in, in growing up in the New York, New Jersey tri-state area, you went to a lot of different venues and things. Are there any standouts for you? I know the Stone Pony was a big one for you guys. Oh, yeah, definitely. So, in Monmouth County, there was this whole... It was... Uh, it was just like the glory days of of live music. So there was, of course, the Stone Pony. There was the Fast Lane and Wonder Bar. All of those are in Asbury Park. Wonder Bar and Stone Pony still are there. Fast Lane closed down. Also in Monmouth County, there was the Colonel's Garter, and there was Trade Winds, and there was the Fountain Casino, and we spent many a Saturday night at Close Encounters, which um, used to feature um, new wave music, and Uh that was, you know, the new thing in the 80s. And then in New Brunswick, there was the Court Tavern and the Melody. They were great. So yeah, that's that's pretty much we did what we did every weekend was go out and see bands. So much wow. live music, very different from now. Any hmm. any standouts from those bands? I'm trying to think. There was one called Baby Blue that we used to like a lot, and there was. Um, well, there was a local guy named Tommy Santelli. He didn't play at those clubs, but Dad got to know Tommy, and he played at our wedding, and then he went down to Nashville, and he, he's still in Nashville, I think. So, at the risk of the unknown here, I have a request. I want to know one awesome concert story you've never told us, and please, children, listen to this podcast. So, let's keep it clean, okay? <laughs> 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 well, there were there were a lot of great shows. I saw the Rolling Stones in 79, I guess it was, on the Some Girls Tour. And it was a general admission concert in Philadelphia. And uh-huh. so we camped out overnight so we could get good seats. Um, Who's right, we? Myself, my next-door neighbor, a couple friends... And so we wanted to get right near the stage, which we did. And then it was like the most excruciating experience of my life. (laughs) For an entire day in the hot sun, we're just like trying to save our spot from all the interlopers (laughs) who want to come in and steal the spot that we stayed overnight to secure. The concert was great, but I was so exhausted by the time they finally came on. And then, you know, afterwards I found out, uh, when you're by the stage in a general admission stadium concert, it's, I mean, it was dangerous. There used to be people crushed to death in those things, you know, but luckily... No, they, nothing yeah. like that happened, but it was uh, it was an incredible show. That they have a reputation for that, as I, I believe. I had no idea you were front row at a Rolling Stones concert. That's crazy. That's yeah. awesome. Yeah, that is. Yeah, and of course, the, but the best story ever is that when I was pregnant with James, I enabled Dad and I to be front row at the Paul McCartney <laughs> rehearsal concert that he did for his fan club. That's he had the right. fan club called Club Sandwich, which yeah. is like a James. That pun is worthy of you, James. Um, <laughs> mm-hmm. <and> Thank you. <laughs> Thank you very much. You bird, James. Yeah, so Dad gets this call from the fan club. Does he want to see Paul McCartney do a rehearsal show for the fan club at the Lyceum Theater in New York? Well, does he? But somehow he finagles. He says, well, yeah, I want to see it, but my wife has to come. So he enabled me to come too and and I was uh, seven and a half months pregnant with James. And so we waited for a couple hours 
again in the hot sun in uh, <laughs> in New York. And by the time they opened the doors, we were supposed to go up to the balcony, but I was so tired of being in the hot sun that I just I just pushed past. I don't know what do you call them bouncers. I just pushed right <laughs> past them, and my magnificent belly enabled everyone to just stand back and let me go. <laughs> <laughs> so I just sailed down that center aisle and planted myself in the front row. And dad, of course, was right with me. <laughs> uh, I just want to say you're welcome. Uh, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, and also recently you, you also saw Ricky Skaggs, yes. uh, who also played with the Rackin Tours. Uh, and you saw him in a Florida carnival, was it? Or Yeah, well, no, it was the Manatee County Fair, and that was such a fluke. I love bluegrass music. I saw Ricky Skaggs was going to be at the Manatee County Fair, and I thought, you know, he'll do a couple of songs or something. He did a full 90-minute concert. It was fantastic. And just like spur of the moment, there we were, and small venue, and, and seeing this legend, that was great. For those of you who don't know, he did a uh, duet with uh, the Rack and Tours on a single. It's very good, so uh, we could play a little bit of it here. I don't think we could top those stories. Mom, thank you so much for joining us today. Uh, This has been great. We'd love to have you back on the show. And hey, happy Mother's Day. (laughs) Yeah, happy Mother's Day. (laughs) Thanks. Do you want to give any shout outs while you're here? No, I just to tell you that. No, just to tell you that I love the podcast. I really do. It's it's great. You you know, it's so enjoyable to listen to you both. And I'm learning a lot. And yeah, it's great. Really enjoy it. Oh, thank you, Mom. Yeah, I'm glad we have a, a mother who's supportive of our weird hobbies and obsessions. <laughs> <laughs> well, I've had 35 years experience, so it's okay. Yeah. <laughs> you burnt, Dad. You burnt. All right, now back to the show. Thanks, Mom. Bye. Thanks, okay. Mom. Love you. Bye. <laughs> Bye-bye. Well, James, I learned a lot today. That's right. Tell me some of the things you learned, Paul. I learned that our mother was front row for the Rolling Stones, and I find that to be shocking and awesome. I learned the power of friendship. Well, it seems pretty pretty broad there, James. Seems a, seems a little abstract. <laughs> We have some thank yous, some shout-outs we want to give here. Shout-outs to some new people. Uh, this week is going to be an all-Twitter edition. Some tweet-outs. Yes. Yeah, we're, we're closing in hard on 700, and 700 followers on Twitter, so I want to give some shout-outs to some people who have been interacting with us there. We have at Shan Shan Shala. Shan Shan Shala. On Twitter, so thank you. We have Haley Killer Queen, or at Gorgeous Jerk. <laughs> so she's the killer 
Queen Haley are tweeting. At gorgeous jerk is your name. Close enough. Thanks to Scubby Doo or at Scubby Doo One. They've been tweeting at us and about us for a while, so I really do appreciate that. We have Anna or Anna, if you're from parts unknown. Uh, we have, uh, well, I'm going to go with Anna or at 124 Quarry Farm. Uh, or quarry farm depending on if you're from parts unknown (laughs) so thank you anna we got carolyn ogden or at maz hot mvy which sounds like a spam bot a little bit but i don't believe it to be Mm. and we also have got pablo or at pabs bd yes Sure. Yeah. And then we have our regulars, uh, people who are following the show uh, week in, week out. Uh, as always, our love goes out to Amy Hart, the heart of the operation. We got Kate McCoy. The bones of the operation. Oh, so we got the heart and we got the bones. <laughs> there you go. I like it. Whatever. God, what do you What do you people want from us? We have S.A. Franco. Hey, who are you? Paul with the, the hard-hitting questions. Hey, who are you? <laughs> <laughs> but we love you and we, we appreciate you tweeting about the show all the time as we, as we see you do. are you? S.A. Franco. Franco. I love that. That's a good one. We have David Poe. 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 And we have Eileen Corsano. We, we see, see you over there, there Eileen. <laughs> yeah. We got Andre Ice Cold Lime Man. Thank you, Andre. We got the punk rock queen, Adrian King. Thank you very much. We got the perpetual third woman, Callie Durga. Thank you, Callie. Yes, thank you, Callie. And keeping us on the rails, Jeremy Riles, you're the best. We got some, uh, we got a contest going, James. If we're trying to hit 20 reviews on iTunes. We're climbing up there. You guys are doing it. But in order to win the prizes that we are boasting here, we have the Loretta Lynn Van Leer Rose DVD from the The Third Man Records Vault. How very topical. How very topical. You can uh, win one of those if you take a screenshot of your review on iTunes and email it to us at thirdmenpodcast at gmail.com. And then we will pick a winner once we hit 20 reviews. reviews. You'll also receive some Third Man Podcast exclusive goodies. Ooh. Which... To the show. Yes. The, uh... So, yeah, everybody do that. Also, hey, send in some listener questions, because we're going to do another episode soon. So, um... Ask us some stuff. We want to answer it for you. Yeah. You can visit us uh, on our Facebook group, facebook.com slash thirdmen. You can visit us at Twitter, at thirdmencast... You can tumble with us at thirdmenpodcast.tumblr.com or you can go straight to the source where we post our show and show notes at the thirdmen.wordpress.com. Yeah, we post directly there. We also post directly to Spreaker. That's iHeartRadio's podcast app. That's uh, So you can go to spreaker.com and search us if you like. And you can also send us an email, thirdmenpodcast at gmail.com. We're also available on Acast and iTunes, iTunes. Um, yeah. and be sure to rate, review, and subscribe. Uh, that's how you enter the contest, and it also helps us out a little bit uh, and helps us get some new listeners to the show because that's how iTunes does its algorithms, really. You could also search us on YouTube where we, we post uh, stuff every now and then, whether it be full episodes or, or little little snippets. And this week I, I posted 
a a a new segment that I'm gonna try and do weekly every Thursday of uh, of little snippets of the show um, that I animate. So hopefully you guys enjoy that. Oh, the Carl Butterballs are flying. It was amazing. Everybody run and check out the uh, shorts that James has been doing. They are so good. And if I am the only one that enjoys them, I will still be happy that they're going up because they're fantastic. Yeah, we're really narrow casting to a certain audience that not only likes Jack White, but also likes our brand of disgusting, awful comedy. <laughs> Let's let's call it like like is a strong word. Let's call it understands or is aware of. There you go. We'd like to thank Sam Kubert and Tom Valenti for the help in recording of our theme song. And then uh, we'd also like to thank Susanna Roundtree uh, for the intro and outro to our program. Susanna also has a film up. She did uh, an animated film that you can go and search the art of Susanna Roundtree on Facebook and and watch it's really really cool there's dudes making out in it so sorry spoilers but <laughs> hey who doesn't want to see that yeah i think it's up on vimeo too so you can uh, search that it is great so yeah go and see that uh we'd also like to thank our mother oh mama <laughs> thank you so much for being on our our podcast uh, james i'm just gonna go listen to this brand new buffalo clover lp Ooh, that just arrived for me in the mail very nice uh, for for those of you who can't see into my video screen that Paul is, is showing me the new Buffalo Clover album that he received on vinyl and it lowdown time it looks wonderful and uh, if you like Margot Price run don't walk to to listen to some Buffalo Clover all right James till next week I'm gonna be looking for a home I'll be looking for a home out there in Nashville I'll see you next week. Bye. For more information or to contact the show, visit thethirdmen.wordpress.com or email at thirdmenpodcast at gmail.com. Also visit at thirdmencast on Twitter and search The Third Men on Facebook. See you next time. And this is the episode. Uh, this this and, is uh, the episode is... of the girl. <laughs> oh, your levels dropped. My baby's on level. <laughs> Paul tried to realign. They're fluctuating madly. I'm guessing all the time. <laughs> now I can see the low. I'm looking at the high. <laughs> Paul's carrying the the load. <laughs> I ate three olives, and all of them were black. That was a good apple. Fun fact. That was a fun fact. Oh, my! Oh, you were just saying my fact was the fun fact. <laughs> yeah, but I had you on your. That was. I had you on your toes there for a minute. No touching. No touching. Um. Oh, no, I won't. I will not. Uh, sorry, apple chips. I see you when you're sleeping, I tickle on your balls, I am a little dream.
drunk right now, so go ahead and deck my halls, you little bitch. You better watch out. We'll just let that one go. Yeah. I think belligerent Santa might have something to say about that, but we should probably just let him yeah. fly away. Um, um, I'm sorry. Hold on. The, Charlie just knocked over a coffee cup. Hold on. Hold on. <laughs> Was it full? Uh, James... <laughs> Uh, is it or is it or is it not true that you are in fact a Turkish spy? That's uh, 100% false, Paul. And uh, one man can know the difference between a regular spy and a Turkish spy, and that's Carl Butterball. <laughs> oh, oh God! Oh God! <laughs> I won't go into that. But um, please don't, <laughs> Mama. Mama. Um, Mama. Mama. Well, we're really having a turtle through line here. Well, I guess. Mama. The babies. Ah. This, is, this has been a real weird thank you, Mom. Not our best, but not our worst. Another winner. I'm turning, I'm pressing stop. <laughs>